I'm thankful for my teacher. Hey. Whoa. I'm thankful for my friends. No, 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 let me. Oh, Hendrix, no, Hendrix no, let Henley have it because he I'm was. I'm thankful for my. I asked Hendrix I'm thankful for favorite. my teacher. I'm thankful for my friends. Day. I'm thankful, thankful, we thankful, 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 thankful for my friends. We are thankful for our food. Very, very thankful. Very thankful for our food. For our food. Whoa. Great finale. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hot Marriage Cool Parents. This is Doug, and I am running solo today because I asked Jamie not to be on the podcast because I'm going to share a special surprise that I'm doing for Valentine's Day, something that we're also doing as a family. We do have a very big announcement coming up, which is uh, we're super excited about, uh, which we're going to share in the next coming weeks. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Valentine's Day. I also wanted to talk about something that recently happened on the tennis courts here uh, where I had to administer CPR to a gentleman. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about the whole story because I really want to be, uh, I, I want this to, I want to be an advocate for people to get familiar with CPR because you never, ever know when you're going to need some first aid training. Fortunately, I had been a lifeguard on the Jersey Shore Beach for 16 years. Granted, it was like 15, 20 years ago, um, but a lot of the basics still apply. And this is the second time I've had to administer CPR on somebody. So I want to tell a little bit about that story. Also, I wanted to recap Married at First Sight, um, season 17, uh, episode 16, uh, which was the couple's retreat. So if you haven't seen episode 16, you may not want to watch or listen to this episode. So here's your spoiler alert. But first, I do want to give a shout out to one of our five-star reviewers. This one comes from fellow RN Ginny. Jamie's an RN, not me. Uh, but this one says, love you guys. I am pretty new to podcasts, but really look forward to your podcast each week. I am with you about Married at First Sight. So frustrating. The last few seasons have been so frustrating with the cast not giving it a chance. I watched the show since the beginning. I have two grown children. Enjoy those babies. They grow up so fast. You guys are rocking the parent life. I really miss Jamie on the after party. Uh, I've missed Jamie too on the after party. Of course, I think it was called unfiltered at the time. Um, but we also understand that, uh, you know, it was time. Um, I, I know Jamie's discussed this in detail. Uh, at first, it was kind of a, not so much of a shock, but it, it wasn't really explained to her. She had went into what had happened from the time that she was then sort of let go from Unfiltered. And since then, I think they've had a couple hosts and they renamed it. And, you know, just like this season, just like the comparisons between season one and the current seasons, shows grow, people grow. I think it was time for Jamie for a change. Uh, a lot of the travel, especially being new parents and having kids and, you know, just having to travel somewhere across country and then travel back uh, just became a lot. And, you know, when it when it stops being something that's really enjoyable and fun for you to do, usually it's a telling sign for it to stop. Uh, and I think it was, uh, I don't know if Jamie would have quit 
doing that uh, because ultimately that's her dream to be a host. That's always been her dream. And I really feel like she should be so proud to have really built that unfiltered after show because she did it for, I believe it was 10 seasons. She started it. She grew with it. She grew that sort of after party atmosphere, uh, getting a chance to talk to the current casts and she loved doing it, but I don't think she would have quit and she would have kept doing it and maybe it would have been harder for her to continue on. And, you know, at that point, it's better to have a split than it is to just get burnt out and run down, which I think was ultimately what was going to happen uh, at that point. But I do want to get into, uh, so this is going to be our very first Valentine's Day in our new house. I have planned and, and I went shopping with Hendrix the other day. And we went shopping for both Henley and Jamie. So I got a big poster card and I'm going to have the kids actually draw and write in it for happy Valentine's Day. I got Henley and Jamie, both roses, as well as uh, heart-shaped box chocolate because that's what Hendrix had picked out. I let him pick out anything and he picked out two different heart-shaped chocolate boxes. So we're going to give that to them later. But I also was able to make a reservation for this one local restaurant, our favorite Italian restaurant that's around here um, called Chianti. Now, this place was the first ever, when we came down to Florida, this was the first restaurant that we had dinner at on Valentine's Day. So this is where we spent our first Valentine's Day in Florida. I was able to make a reservation, so we're going to eat there tonight. So that's the uh, big the, uh, one of the big surprises. The other big surprise is I hired, and something that we've been talking about for a while, I've hired painters to come in and completely paint the inside of the house. Uh, we got all the bedrooms painted, Henley's room, our bedroom, Hendrix's room. We always had this sort of two-tone, uh, early 90s type of paint that was uh, in our living room, the TV room, the kitchen and something that Jamie continued to talk about. So I was able to get some estimators uh, or some painting companies to come in, got a couple estimates, finally hired somebody, and uh, it looks fantastic. And I'm so excited for Jamie to come back and be able to see a newly painted house. Because if you've watched us on social media or have seen some of the videos from our inside of our house or (laughs) near the kitchen table, uh, the previous owner had painted a uh, big pot uh, with a vine, grapevine that went up and around uh, the, the doorway and the walkway. And it was just, yeah. And there was diff- two different tones of colors and we have really high ceilings and I've always been the one to paint uh, no matter what, but these ceilings are extra high and yeah, we didn't want to, we decided that we would start to hire contractors for big projects like this. And I'm so excited that they're here today of all days. So that's, uh, that's going to be something that we'll be sharing also. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm gonna, I'm just so excited to have a night out with my wife. I, I don't, you know, you don't, we've, we've had to schedule dates almost. And, you know, now trying to conceive, it's almost like we schedule sex and, and, we checked the ovulation calendar and Jamie's been peeing on sticks for the last couple months, but we are, I'm just so excited to go out and, you know, we haven't really had much alone time together and I, we were able to get a babysitter for tonight, 
So we're going to try to have some fun tonight and you know, who knows what happens. Um, but I, I just love the idea of getting dressed up and being able to go out with my, with my wife. And that's going to be something that's very special and I'm excited to share, uh, or excited to share Valentine's day with, with Jamie. So, but on to some other really crazy news. So I mentioned earlier that I was a lifeguard on the Jersey Shore beach. So shout out to Manasquan Beach if anybody's gone down there. It's my favorite beach on the Jersey Shore. Uh, I am impartial and, or I am partial to that because I did work there. But the when I first started lifeguarding and I was 16 years old and my high school football coach or one of the football coaches was a lifeguard and had been since he was, was younger, but he was a lieutenant on, on Manasquan Beach. Doug Anderson, shout out to Doug Anderson. So um, we, uh, I mentioned that, and I had gone to the beach a bunch. I love body surfing, surfing, um, bodyboarding. Um, body surfing is really one of my favorites, and one of the downsides of living on the Gulf of Mexico is that there's very little waves. There's barely any waves that come in to Siesta Key Beach, but he recognized that I really enjoyed swimming. I talked about the beach a lot and he said, why don't you come and apply and, you know, we'll give you a swim test and you come in and become a lifeguard. And honestly, that was one of the greatest jobs that I've ever had. And it was, especially during high school, the summers you have off. I was so into sports, football, basketball, baseball. I I ended up stopping uh, uh, basketball my senior year just because I wanted to, I was, I knew I was going to play baseball in college and I wanted to, to lift and get ready for the baseball season there. But the, the workouts that you get as a lifeguard were essential, um, you know, running on soft sand, being able to work out and, and sprint and kayak and paddleboard and just, you know, I love, love, love the ocean and the ocean animals and uh, we would see dolphin every day. I would always try to time it to where as soon as I saw them coming, uh, you know, p- running parallel to the shore, I would get my kayak and go out there with them. But the remember being 16 years old and not having much experience as far as, you know, rescuing. You know, you, you have practice, you run drills, you do all the things. You have the, the torpedo, the thing that you throw over your shoulder, and it's that little floatable that you bring out with you. And one of my first rescues was a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old. And we at Manasquan Beach, there's these jetty rocks that go out probably about 25, 30 yards. And they sort of separate the beaches, but a lot of times it's shallower around there. So you can get caught in a rip and um, which is just the water starts rushing down the jetties. Um, and so I saw these two girls uh, go in on the opposite side of the jetty. And all of a sudden I see their grandpa starting to um, tie up his bathing suit and starting to run towards the beach or run towards the water. And I look up and these girls are at the end of the jetty rock. So I, sprint down there. I have my floatable. I start to dive down to swim out there. And as soon as I dive down, I realized that I didn't tie my lifeguard shorts. They were around my ankles. So as I'm trying to swim out there, I'm also trying to pull up my, um, my shorts, but I finally get out to the end of the jetty and it, you know, the way that the waves were crashing, it brought them onto the rock. So I'm climbing on the rocks. I grab these two girls. I throw them over my shoulder. We're stepping on barnacles. There's these barnacles that are just all over the rocks. I'm trying to step off. 
we come out of the water and I grab them and, and I'm, I'm carrying them out. Thankfully, the, the water was shallow enough where I was able to get my footing where we weren't crashing into the rocks the entire time. But as soon as we got out there, they were bloody. I was bloody. There was all these little cuts around my legs. Um, but it really, it really gave me a lot of pride and confidence for emergency situations. And I've been in situations where something terrible happens and there's certain people that just pause, panic, get frozen and having that lifeguard training and and it just made me realize that I'm not one of those people. There's nothing wrong with someone that freezes or, you know, is scared. You know, it's, it is something, it's a trait. It's not something that, um, is comfortable for everybody. And I recognize that for whatever reason, anytime something bad happened, I always had the first instinct to run towards it or to help in any way. Now, fast forward 20 years from lifeguarding, uh, or I should say 20 years later, I was working at a company and uh, it was in an office and we, we hear a scream from the one of the offices that are next door and a young guy, probably in his mid-30s, is dropped down on the floor on his back. He is struggling to breathe. His eyes are starting to roll in the back of his head. And at that point, you know, the lifeguard training kicks in. And I really, it's so important to have some form or some knowledge, even if it's just basic barebone knowledge of how to how to give CPR, what to do in those situations. Because that was the first time that I've witnessed people that couldn't even, when you tell them to call 911, they just look around and they're frozen. And that was the first time that I was, that I saw that in people and I'm on the ground and I'm feeling for a pulse and there was a very faint pulse. And I just remember the guy, um, this guy, Simon gave some really, he was struggling to breathe and he was struggling to get up and then he just collapsed. And I started to administer CPR. 911 was called and I'm giving CPR for about two minutes and checking for a breath and he wasn't coming to. And I continue to give CPR and the, the paramedics and EMT got there. I want to say within like four or five minutes, uh, it could have been longer. I don't know. Everything just sort of happened so fast, but as soon as they got there, they took over. They had to use the defibrillator twice and they shocked him twice. Um, after that second shock, they were able to find a faint pulse and that's when they transport him to the hospital. Fast forward to a couple hours later, he's awake, he's conscious. The next day, he's pretty much fully better, um, aware, feels better. Um, it turns out that they had to actually install a uh, I think it's a, I don't want to say it's a pacemaker, but it's like a built-in defibrillator uh, where if his heart goes into that AFib, uh, it'll automatically shock him. So he he has to ha- he had to have that device in them. And I guess he had some uh, heart failure as a, as a kid, but never came up. And he was very, in, he was in shape and everything else. But the doctors said, and I was able to go visit him in the hospital, doctor said that if CPR was not administered, within minutes of him losing consciousness and his heart stopping, there is very little uh, chance of, of him fully surviving. 
and the longer blood doesn't pump through your body, the longer blood doesn't run through and, and, and help continue some oxygenated blood to the brain, there's very little that they could do after that. He wound up living, and it, it was amazing. And if you've watched Married at First Sight from the start, uh, I mentioned and something I put in my, my little Get to Know Doug book for Jamie that I gave to her on the night of our uh, wedding was um, I received a, a hero award from Governor Christie at the time for New Jersey uh, for saving a life. Um, so part of the lifeguard program and, and one of the first aid medics that was there um, caught wind of the story and they do these hero awards and sort of recognize the, and it's really to create awareness around first aid and CPR. Um, so that was, that was the, that was an intense moment. Um, that was also the first time I've, I really recognized somebody just standing there, just like looking and, and you try to get them to snap out of it and they're just frozen. Um, and now fast forward to a couple days ago and Jamie did share a little bit of this on her Instagram story. So I've ever since we moved into our new community, I've really found a love for tennis and something that I haven't ever played before in my life. I was always a baseball. And even when I first came down here, I was searching for softball leagues to participate in. And, um, I just, we have access to tennis and pickleball right here in our community. And I really found a love for it. Now, I hadn't gone. They do these tennis classes in the morning that run from 9.30 to 10.30. It's more of a workout for, for people that want to go. I hadn't gone in, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks. It goes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I get in my head, I'm the one that, that wakes up with the kids and takes them to school. And so by the time I get back, it's usually about 9, 9.15, and then I just go right to this tennis class. And for whatever reason, I was a little bit early and I said, you know what? I haven't been in a while. I really want to go to this cardio uh, tennis class. So we are playing the entire time. It runs an hour, about 45 minutes in. A woman, You just hear a woman scream, get the defibrillator, get the machine. And I look over and there's a gentleman that's collapsed. Now, I run over there. There's five or six people that he was playing tennis with that are standing around. One person's already on the phone with 911. And I drop everything and I run over to him. And usually there's a couple doctors that are playing tennis. I guess this time there just wasn't any, but I was the only one that was familiar with CPR. Uh, or whether I, I was the only one or, you know, if there was somebody else, but Nobody was on the ground with them, and I immediately started chest compressions. Now, I try to stay up with first aid. I try to stay up with CPR, and I believe that now you don't even have to give breaths. Like, you just do your compressions, and you don't even have to give breaths. Now, using the defibrillator, I do have some basic knowledge, and I did have training using it. And a lot of the portable sort of AED machines that you'll see in stores, you'll see in offices, they're very self-explanatory. And the only challenge is if you find someone that's extremely hairy, um, usually there's a, a razor that's in there because, you know, if it doesn't have a stick on your skin or if it's not able to give the reading, you're not going to be able to get a good pulse. Uh, plus, if a shock is necessary, then it's not going to be able to give that full shock. But thankfully, this, this gentleman, older gentleman, was 
uh, wasn't that hairy, but I started to give chest compressions and he's, it, it brought back the same memories as the first time that I gave CPR. Um, and I just remember just seeing him struggling to breathe and he's given this, and that's how he's breathing. It's like, you know, he's almost like swallowing his tongue and he has a faint pulse and then just drops and he's done. Um, that's when I started to give CPR and I gave CPR for about a minute, a uh, minute and a half before the defibrillator was taken out. Now the defibrillator, as I'm administering CPR, gentleman takes the defibrillator out and is, is looking to on how to unpack it, how to hook it up. Um, there's pictures on, on the pads that you would put on. So I grabbed it because the, there was a lot of fumbling around. I grabbed it. I, I, Un, uh, took off the sticky pads, put one on, you know, on the right side of his, uh, his left, my right, um, up near the chest area. And the other one goes a little bit lower on the left-hand side, uh, but further down, like by the rib cage. As I'm giving chest compressions, it keeps saying that there's an error in reading, an error in reading. And I realized that part of his shirt was caught under the pad. So, as soon as that happened, as soon as I adjusted and put that on, that's when the machine can say, okay, analyzing patient, stay clear. You stop doing CPR. At that time, it said, continue chest compressions for a minute. You start giving chest compressions for, for a minute. And um, I'm trying to talk to the guy. He, you know, the difference between what happened with the last time I gave CPR and this time uh, the gentleman that collapsed in the office turned blue uh, and sort of like a purplish gray uh, towards the end, which was which was extremely scary um, and an image that I'll never get out of my head. Um, this gentleman didn't, he didn't turn blue. He didn't, uh, and I, whether it was just continuing to pump blood through his body, through those chest compressions or, or whatever, but he didn't, he didn't turn blue. So as I'm giving chest compressions, the next time it analyzes, it, a shock is advised. So we press the shock button and it shocks them. And then I continue giving chest compressions, chest compressions for about another minute uh, to a minute and a half. It analyzes again. It needs to shock them again. That's when I started to get really, really nervous because to have to shock somebody and, you know, a lot of times it's the, those types of machines that are, are either that are really a make or break for a lot of people because Sometimes it is just that electric current that's needed to get the heart going regular again. And I start to give chest compressions again, and he's sort of coming to, but you see him giving that sort of belabored breathing and, and really struggling to breathe. Um, after the, the, um, the AD machine shocked him for a second time, as I'm giving chest compression, this is about four or five minutes in now, he grabs my arms and looks at me and I can't, I'm, I'm getting chills now. I can't tell you how incredible it was to see someone that is on the verge of, of dying and the machine br brought him back along with some chest compressions and when he came to, he didn't even realize that he had passed out. He just dropped. He didn't know that he's been out. He was, 
he woke up just wondering why people were standing around him and why this stranger was hovered over him, holding his hand in the back of his head. And he was able to start speaking. And I asked him, I go, do you know your name? And he goes, yeah, Peter. Um, and I go, okay, do you know where you are? And he was just like, yeah, I go, do you know if you want, did you win the last game? He goes, of course I did. So that, at that point, it was, um, at that point, that's when the EMT, you could hear the ambulance starting to pull into the tennis courts uh, at that time. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, dude, we had to shock you twice. And he goes, no, has no recollection of anything other than waking up. And the ambulance took him away. And the next morning, I get an email from him and his wife. Uh, very lovely email, too, just, just saying thank you. Uh, I had to fill out an incident report. I don't, I don't remember what my demeanor was um, there, but the director of tennis uh, and the, the pro shop that's there and, and the people around, um, they were just really thankful of, they said I was calm. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember being calm, but, but I guess I kept everybody calm. Um, but you know, I hadn't had to use any first aid training for years and years, but just knowing the basics is so important and could save a life. And I'm just so fortunate that he's doing extremely well. Um, he's either going to need a pacemaker or one of those, uh, uh, little mini AED machines that'll get implanted. So if his heart does um, get to that rapid sort of uh, AFib, that it'll shock him and, and hopefully bring him bring him back. But that was, you know, the it's weird because every time that I every time that I sort of it's not like I I fight believing or fully committing to um, religion. I've always had an open mind. Um, I've always been, you know, under the impression that, you know, I, I do believe in God. I, I do believe in a higher power. Um, what I always struggled with was how is there so many different gods for different regions of the planet? You know, is it, an interpretation of the same sort of texts and gods, but there's different texts, there's different religions. And, you know, the Jamie really brought me in back into the church. Uh, growing up, I was never fully religious. Um, I never really had a religious upbringing. Uh, we would go to church some Sundays, but mostly we would go to church Christmas Eve and I grew up Presbyterian. The Jamie brought me back in, and she's a huge believer in prayer. And she would always say, you know, what you put out into the universe, what you believe in your mind, what you put out into the universe comes around. If you believe in something, if you have a goal in mind and you put it out into the universe, it's more likely that you will achieve it. And for Jamie, that interpretation is Jesus and believing. And, 
you know, I'm not, I wasn't ever fully committed into faith that way. Um, you know, it was more will, but you know, recently there's been, you can't call it a coincidence at that point. I don't know what to call it, but you know, if, and, and what I'm really starting to believe is that what I'm really starting to believe is that God puts you in places. God puts you, puts thoughts. And, you know, Jamie and I, and, you know, for, for me, it's been more of a commitment to, to honor and give glory to, which is something that you learn when, if you do go to church. And it's something that I never practiced. I never was fully into, but this past year has, you can't, this past year has brought more, I started to pray. I started to pray for things. I started to be more thankful, be more thankful and and honoring God and Jesus and you know, the, a lot of things have been happening that I've been praying for. And it can't be a coincidence. I have no explanation for it other than it's amazing. It, it's absolutely Amazing. And whether you believe or, or don't believe, I'm not here to judge. You know, I haven't, I'm Presbyterian. I, I don't know what it means to be uh, a practicing Christian. Someone from the church asked me when the last time I was saved was. I didn't even know how to answer that. Um, you know, Jamie had, Jamie's escaped from her childhood and, and some place where she found comfort and safety and was the church going from a, a toxic, trailer park environment with abuse and, and neglect, the church was, was saving her. And I never looked at religion in that way. But I've been going to church with Jamie, and I've always had an open mind about religion and beliefs and spirituality and, and a higher power. And when you start to pray for things, whether you consider it putting it out into the universe or praying for it, when you're more thankful, when you give thanks, when you show gratitude, when you're humble, when you have a goal in mind, when you are hoping to better somebody's life, when you are honoring a higher power, there is so much, so much good that, that starts to come. And when you continue to be grateful, when you continue to give thanks, when you continue to give the glory to your higher power, there's a whole new level of comfort, 
of life, of happiness, and joy with the people around you. There's no other way, there's no other explanation that I have for that. When I started to give religion a chance, and I'm still not fully, I don't don't know what to believe. Um, But, you know, there's a situation like what just happened. I didn't have to go to this tennis class. I wasn't planning on going to this tennis class, but I felt such a strong urge to where it became no doubt that I was going to that tennis class in the morning. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's what put me there. Maybe that's what I, what, what I was supposed to do. I always believe that everything happened for a reason. I've never been fully committed to praying for things. Um, I've always tried to be humble and grateful and thankful. And I, I, you know, my parents really taught that. And good things come. No matter what place you're in in life, no matter how you feel right now, be thankful, be humble, be grateful. Give glory to whoever and you'll start to notice little incremental incremental changes that will change your life. You'll start to see more positivity in your life. You'll start to see that you bring more joy to people. And that, that for me is that gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. I love making people around me happy. I, that, that's, that was, that's always been my thing. Even through Married at First Sight, when people say, you know, I'm, I'm so nice, I'm so giving, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't need much, or, you know, they, they never saw Jamie giving me back, you know, any of the, uh, or, or, Maybe she was mean to me, what have you, but my, I don't want to say, it sounds weird if I say I get off on that, but that's always been a, a, a purpose and a meaning for me. I love bringing joy to people. I, I, it genuinely makes my heart happy to be able to make someone laugh, to be able to change someone's life, to be able to make someone feel better. That makes me feel better. I don't need much. Deep down, I'm, I'm, I'm a very positive and happy person. But making other people happy really brings me a ton of joy. And I didn't mean to go on a, a rant about religion. And, and I just wanted to mention the CPR story because I truly believe that, that everyone should get a basic understanding of first aid uh, I didn't know I was going to take it to that level, but um, that's all I want to say, and that's all that's all I'll, I'll speak on it for now because I do want to get to and what and we'll finish off uh, quickly with a, a brief recap of Married at First Sight, which is season seventeen, episode sixteen. Actually, before we go there, I do want to mention the sponsor of this episode, 
HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit and something that has saved my mind, saved my family's palate uh, because I'm the one that cooks in the family. And if you're the one that cooks, you know that providing a meal for your spouse and kids and making it fresh and something different and unique day after day after day is extremely difficult. Your recipes become bland. You start making the same things over and over again and dinner is not as exciting. Well, HelloFresh has completely changed the game. Not only is it farm fresh ingredients that are pre-portioned that get delivered to your house, but you get to choose what your interests are. My wife is gluten-free. My kids have a certain taste. I'm able to decide and say what my likes are, and then they provide new fresh recipes, new fresh ingredients to my doorstep, and I actually am able to plan ahead with my meals. Not only that, but there's very little waste because of the pre-portioned meals and everything gets delivered to your house. I can't tell you how many times I went to go make a meal and I'm missing one key ingredient or I'm missing two things or you have meat that's just not defrosted yet and which is super frustrating. Save trips to the store, save some time, save some money, but also give yourself some peace of mind and check out HelloFresh. You can go to hellofresh.com slash HMCP free and use the code HMCP free for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. Free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com backslash HMCP free and use the code HMCP free. We love HelloFresh. Uh, My kids love HelloFresh. My wife is super happy because I'm actually cooking new, unique meals that are healthy. Everything's pre-proportioned. Absolutely, absolutely recommend HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com backslash HMCP and use code HMCP free for free breakfast for life. All right, let's get back to it. If you've been with us for the last couple podcast episodes, you've heard me and my frustrations with this current season of Married at First Sight and the the couples. Um, In the beginning of the episode, I genuinely thought there was hope for two couples, and I'll explain and I'll get to it. But this episode saw Married at First Sight couples retreat. This is also something that Jamie and I never had. I don't know if it would have benefited us, um, you know, at the time to be able to go on a couples retreat and get together with everybody. It was, it's a little strange for me to hear that they're calling it a couples retreat and then have Claire, Orion, and Lauren there because they're not couples. Um, a couple's retreat in my mind is something, and I even believe that Lauren said it uh, while she was there, that a couple's retreat should be a way to bond with your spouse or bond with your partner um, and kind of feed off and, 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 and create a, sh- uh, a, a stronger foundation along with other couples. Um, the fact that there were singles <laughs> there uh, was a little strange for me, but... I do have some thoughts on a few of the couples. So my immediate reaction is that I wanted, I love awkward situations. So I was excited to see Orion and Lauren there together since it was probably, it was the first time that they spoke since Michael and Chloe's wedding. And I wanted to see that awkwardness and that did not disappoint, uh, which was, which was amazing. I think that, I think that did more harm than good. Honestly, I think Orion wants to save face and being able to speak in front of all the other couples, he gets to 
give his spin on the situation and try to paint a picture that everything's okay and they're growing and they want to be friends. And honestly, there's not many people that when you're dating or when you're married that are friends. I don't know what either of them would gain out of a friendship, but I think now it's just a part for Orion to really just save face. But this couple's retreat in episode 16, they now have one day over two weeks left before decision day. And I was happy that they started off with Michael and Chloe's, uh, the end of their honeymoon and the beginning of when Married at Versailles gets real. And that's moving into each other uh, or moving in with each other, I should say. Um, there's, there's a level of maturity and emotional connection that's building between Michael and Chloe, which is nice to see. It's a great foundation. My issue, uh, or something, I I shouldn't say my issue, but something that I've noticed is there's not much intimacy, a physical intimacy. And I don't know whether that's a conscious decision of theirs or whether it just doesn't feel right at the time. And based on my experience there, um, you, there's, you know a couple is doing, going in the right direction when you see there's touching, playfulness, flirting, kissing, holding, holding hands, you know, just being close. Doesn't mean making out, doesn't mean sleeping together, but just that physical touch and creating that sort of sexual tension is always a baseline for me to to know whether a couple's on the right track or not it's early it is early they just got back from um, from their honeymoon and it's going to be a big adjustment I was so looking forward to someone like Chloe who's a minimalist to be able to try to live with Michael who honestly is the most mature and just has is head and shoulders above many men that go on married at first sight. He's able to bring up tough conversations and speak to them intelligently and with a sense of calm and care. Um, he's attentive. He's also able to be vulnerable and he, he's so good at reading the room. Um, not so much when, when he starts to, whether when he starts to put on some of Chloe's, uh, jewelry, but, uh, that's a whole different story, but you know, the, I see some hesitation and reservation in Chloe, and I don't know if that's going to be a major hurdle to get over because you could almost see it that she needs alone time. And something that I took away from their moving in together, yes, they're each adding their own sort of unique feel to the new apartment they're going to be staying at. They're getting to know each other's places and safe spaces, which if you live alone, your your home, wherever is your safe space, and, and that's a picture of you and your personality. And I think Chloe was very hilariously weirded out by the fact that Michael has more skirts than she does, the fact that he asked about wearing her jewelry. Um, I think that it's going to be fun to see how they progress and to see how many 
clothes that Michael wears of hers or vice versa. Uh, I think she could probably do some wardrobe shopping from Michael's closet too. But I think I do have high hopes for both of them. I, I think they're on the right path. There's no timetable as far as, you know, when they're going to start making out. I just don't see that sexual chemistry yet. I don't see them kissing, touching, holding hands when they sit on the couch with an expert or when you're talking to an expert, a, a major indicator of where a couple is, is whether or not they sit close to each other, whether or not they have their arm around each other. Um, so that's, that's going to be my gauge for the next sort of episodes, uh, watching Chloe and Michael. Um, now Becca and Austin started off great. It seemed like Austin was finally initiating some intimacy. And I think this episode more than ever, it's almost as if Becca has a flashing sign that says, Austin, please do me. It's like a bright flashing light saying, Austin, I am open for business and let's consummate this marriage. And whether Austin's given this some thought or whether he's had this conversation off camera, it doesn't seem like he's really comfortable saying anything other than we can make out and kiss together on camera. Like that's his comfort level. Uh, and I do think he's someone that it doesn't, it's not natural for him to speak to his um, sexual past, his, you know, what, how intimacy, any of that. I don't, he's not comfortable speaking to that, but I just hope that he's having that conversation and based on how they interact on camera, uh, whether whether or not he's having that conversation off camera is to be determined. I'm leaning towards probably not because as much as they started out really cute and Austin was really starting to flirt more and allude to being more intimate on the couple's retreat, we find out later that Austin decides to get up and get out of bed. He didn't stay with his wife on couple's retreat. He just gets up and leaves with no explanation, none. It's just, it's strange. It's strange to me. I don't, I think this was, this particular episode is the straw that will break Becca's back. I don't think this is recoverable for them. The fact that you would take a couple's retreat, something that is labeled appropriately for you to connect with your partner. This season, it almost seemed like the girls and guys were more excited to be with the girls and guys than they were to be with their partner. Bottom line. That's why it was re really strange for me to even consider this a couple's retreat because no one seemed like a couple. None. No one. Other than at the end of the episode, something really tragic happened where um, Brennan and Emily... Uh, I didn't think there was any hope for them at all. I think that Brennan is one person on camera and another person off camera, but they walk into the house for this couple's retreat. And the first thing he says is, cool with if we pick our own bedrooms. Done. I think this was going to be the way for Emily to just break apart and just say there's no more. I, why Brennan hasn't just said, let's stop is beyond me. Why, I mean, I, I understand that they want to give it their all, but Emily's the only one giving it her all, or at least trying. Um, Brennan is, is just saying one thing in the 
interviews, one-on-one interviews, and saying doing another thing by acting the way he is. But at the end of the episode, there was a ATV accident. Emily crashed her ATV. Uh, I don't know what she hit, but her head was filled with blood. And EMT and medics had to come. They took her to the hospital. So much blood spewing from her head. And this could be that spark that gets them back together. I don't know how long it'll last. I, I, I don't know if the way that they had been acting towards each other would, would bring them closer, if, if this would be something. But a tragic event like this, something that requires a ton of trust in, in your partner, someone that's there for you, someone that, you know, for someone like Brendan, if something like this happens, sometimes it can make him realize that if she gets hurt, he feels bad or he feels her pain. And if that is sort of realized in Brennan, I think we could see a change in him. I think this could bring them closer. I think this for Emily could be, this is someone I can rely on. And if Brennan changes his attitude, if Brennan shows that he cares, um, I think that, I think this could be, a spark of something, something great. I don't know if he has it in him. I don't know what'll happen from here, obviously, but this could be something that gets them over the edge. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want a head injury to be the thing that, that sparks a, uh, you know, creates a new fire in a relationship, but this could be something that could be the start of something amazing. And, you know, the other, the other couples, I mean, Claire and Cameron, they're, they're still separated. Claire seems like she's very upset by it. Uh, she does care for Cameron. I think she realized that too late. I think, you know, they just missed their mark. But, you know, we'll see what happens next episode. It, it didn't in the previews. It did look like doom for Becca and Austin. I'm happy that she actually said something to Austin about how she felt with him just getting up and leaving the room and not sleeping with his wife. Um, even just cuddling for the night, uh, you know, to just sleep in a different bed is just strange and awkward, but, um, that's my reaction. I, I am holding out hope for Chloe and Michael. I think there is a chance there, but I do think that I would like to see some intimacy or at least an attempt for intimacy. Otherwise they're just going to fall into a friend zone. And I think this could be a newfound thing for Emily and Brennan. Um, you know, whether it lasts or not is, is to be determined, but, um, Based on what I'm seeing in the previews, uh, I, I think I'm putting an X on Becca and Austin now. And so hopefully there's there's at least one for this season, but it's uh, 50-50 right now. But anyway, um, happy Valentine's Day for anybody that's listening to this on Valentine's Day or after. Um, stay tuned for next week. Jamie will be back on. Uh, we'll have some exciting news, news to share. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys soon next week. And I love you and goodbye.